0: And, and so what does it mean to a farmer? It means that the number one thing to uh, build my soil carbon is to have, is to grow good crops and to grow a diversity of crops and to make sure I have healthy root systems. And I have as many what we call uh, live root days per year. Those things we now know are central
1: to building soil health. Welcome back, everyone, to the Growing Point podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Wojtjen. Our goal with this podcast is simple, to provide Alberta farmers and agronomists with timely, relevant, and valuable agronomic knowledge through interviews with experts in various fields of agriculture. We hope that the agronomic information from this and future podcasts brings value to you and your farm. In this episode, we speak to Dr. Martin Entz, a professor of cropping systems and natural systems agriculture in the Department of Plant Science at the University of Manitoba. In this podcast, I chat with Entz about tillage, how much tillage is too much tillage, the types of tillage and their impacts on soil, and how producers can think about tillage. We also discuss the relationship between tillage, plant diversity, and soil health. There's some interesting things that I learned in this discussion, and I hope you do too. So enjoy, and thanks for listening to the Growing Point podcast. All right, good morning, Martin. Thanks for joining me on the Growing Point podcast today. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing well, thank
0: you, Jeremy. Good to be talking to uh, you folks in Alberta and um, I'm looking forward to our conversation.
1: Perfect, I'm looking forward to it too. So maybe for those who don't know you, could you give a, an introduction of you know where you're from and, and what you do and, and where your research is?
0: Okay, so I'm at the University of Manitoba. Um, I'm an agronomist here, and uh, I um, um, uh, my background is uh, well. I've I've actually worked on uh, sugar beets in Alberta. I've worked on lots of different crops, and I did my PhD at the University of Saskatchewan on winter wheat, really at the height of the no-till revolution uh, in the late '80s, early '90s, and um, and uh, you know really saw. What was possible uh, with moving to continuous cropping with no-till? I've worked on conservation agriculture, which is what sort of you know soil-friendly agriculture is called internationally. I've worked in Australia, uh, and I've also worked in Northwest China. And uh, over the last eight nine years, we've had a project in uh, sub-Saharan Africa, in Eastern Africa, and in Zimbabwe on. uh, conservation agriculture systems, uh, trying to conserve moisture and uh, bringing legume intercrops into maize production. But at the University of Manitoba here, I teach courses in crop production. I run some long-term crop rotation studies and have um, done a lot of work on uh, no-till organic as well uh, with the blade roller and some of those other goofy
1: instruments. <laughs> it sounds like you have quite the, the breadth of, of uh, kind of research under your belt. Um, how do you start doing research in China? That's, I, I, you know, I haven't chatted with anyone who's kind of done that international research side. Um, how did that start?
0: Well, there's actually quite a strong connection between Canada and China. A lot of the uh, Canada scientists from places like Lethbridge and Swift Current and I know Guy Lafond who used to be, the late Guy Lafond, uh, friend of mine at Indian Head uh spent a lot of time in northwest china because they were having just tremendous soil erosion problems um salinity problems and uh, really uh, very similar challenges that we've had here uh, on the dryland prairies and so um uh there there's we have a lot of a uh, lot of interaction with china have had for 25 years and um and so uh there's a they're very eager for uh, you know canadians to um to visit, to help out, uh, they've they've manufactured a lot of equipment in China um, to try to reduce tillage, uh, no you know no-till direct seeding, um, and um, and my work in sub-Saharan Africa is actually started with the Canadian Food Grains Bank. My lab we we provide uh, science support to the Canadian Food Grains Bank, and so um, my goal is to try to get graduate students experience in development agronomy.
1: Well. Wow. Oh, I mean, that's what we're here to talk about today is is, is tillage, um, and you know this. The, how this started for me was the top crop manager uh, article that came across my my desk, and I think it was published December, late December of, of twenty twenty, um, talking about uh, tillage and and whether to till and whether not to till. Um, Maybe could you could could you give us a an idea of, of what the discussion on that was? Yeah,
0: well, you know,
1: um, in in the last uh,
0: several a couple of decades, I've I've spent quite a bit of time working on organic agriculture, um, and I actually have done a lot of work with farmers in Alberta on this subject. And uh, you know, so tillage becomes a central question, and uh, um, so. We've asked ourselves questions like how much tillage is too much, um, and um, you know, and, and and what type of tillage to do. And and uh, my, my family comes from uh, eastern Germany, actually. My my parents. I'm a first generation Canadian. My parents immigrated from 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 there to here, and you know, so I have a history of sort of plow agriculture in those areas. Um, and so, you know, I mean, I don't think we want to go back to plowing. Uh, the data is pretty clear on that, but um, the um, uh, when we look at sort of the nuances of tillage that uh, you know some farmers practice, especially in Europe, where they've really tried to go from plowing to non-inversion tillage, which is sort of the norm in the prairies. Right? We we use you know chisel plows, deep tillers, vibroshank cultivators you know, heavy harrows, that's, that's all considered sort of non-inversion tillage. For, for the Europeans, that's reduced till. Um, and I think in that discussion with a number of uh, journalists, you know, uh, they really tweaked onto the fact that, I, you know, we were talking about the fact that, you know, not all tillage is the same and there's all kinds of nuance within tillage. Um, and so, uh, you know, so that's how that, I think, started, Jeremy, is, um uh, Uh, conversation I think the Western producer also did an article and on this and I looped in Bill Dean from the University of Guelph who's done a you know they've got a 40-year study on this in Guelph and so um so that's how that started and um and I just want to end off this little segment with you know on the question of you know how much tillage is too much and I, I think that that my my quick answer certainly to farmers who do have tillage in their system is uh, too much tillage is if it limits what you can grow uh, because we now know we know that the roots of a diverse crop rotation is what builds soil carbon and we do not want to limit uh, what we can grow in our rotation. Um, by using too much tillage and drying out the soil and, and missing those opportunities, so, so that's my quick answer about you know how much tillage is too much.
1: So that, that comment, Martin, would make me think that it would almost fall more on the um, in the parts of the province that maybe see less moisture. Because if we're doing too much tillage, and then that's limiting the capacity of the crop to grow, or would that would that statement also apply to higher moisture areas?
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think it I think it could certainly apply in in the south, right? And and that's that's been the the the, the amazing thing of the no-till revolution, which you know, which Canadian farmers pioneered and and uh, you know made happen uh, for our place here. Um, and you know, if you look at uh, you know, people like Wayne Lindwall, who used to be at, at Lethbridge at Ag Canada, you know, he's a early no-till proponent researcher. And, you know, it 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 showed pretty quickly that, you know, you go to no-till and you conserve more water, and then you can start thinking about, you know, more continuous cropping, maybe not everywhere, but um, you know, we've reduced a lot of fallow in the prairie region because we've conserved our water better through reduced tillage. And so you know, you're absolutely right. In dryland areas, um, no-till has increased the opportunities of what we can grow. Um, and even here in the Red River Valley of Manitoba, we've had some very dry years. And, and farmers, they all they all have the, the no-till type equipment, right? And and they, you know, there's been a lot of direct seeded crops now, and, and so that's really great. Conserve water. Going to the wetter areas, you know, uh, Dwayne Beck, who many of your listeners may, may know uh, about, he was in South. He is uh, retired now, but he's in South Dakota at the Dakota Lakes Research Farm, and he used to say that you can no-till anywhere. Uh, if you get into the wetter areas, um, you know what you need to do is change the rotation just to use more water, so you're using more of the water. Uh, that you're conserving through reduced tillage. Um, then, of course, you know you get into the really wet areas, and especially on clay soils, then it becomes more challenging, and you might have to look at you know different approaches and and maybe introduce some soil disturbance in those systems. But uh, you're absolutely right um, about your assessment, and I think we all know what no-till has done is it's it's helped us conserve water and improve soil to store more water. So. Uh, it's been a, it's been a, you know. So given all that, you know, the question of why should we even be talking about tillage is a very relevant one.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I mean, if if you're a, if you're on social media like I am, and you see some sometimes these conversations pop up and these discussions happen between producers who are are no-till and and those who do implement tillage, um, you know, there seems to be quite the contrast of of feelings on you know, whether tillage should be implemented and the impacts of tillage and, 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 the benefits of no-till and, and, but the, the challenges that come from no-till in higher moisture areas, um, you know, why do we, why do you think we're seeing such extremes on this?
0: Yeah. Well, I remember um, the early days of no-till um, farmers in the, you know, I would call them more the Northern fringes of the prairies. They, they were um, incorporating anhydrous ammonia in the fall into their fields. And many of them explained, you know, we just like to expose a little bit of soil in the fall just to, just to speed up uh, some warming in the spring. Um, and that's a, that's a legitimate um, observation because we know that, um, you know, we, we can get some very cool springs and, uh, and so they still considered themselves completely no-till, and, and, uh, and, but they did a little bit of that disturbance in the fall. And, and we've got people heavy harrowing um, to, to try and break down a bit of residue and, and maybe also expose a little bit of just to change the colour of the soil surface to attract a bit more heat in the spring. And then some really innovative ways of doing that. Uh, there's some strip intercropping work in North Dakota now where they're using faba beans um, as, a, as a late season cover crop. And faba beans, when they freeze, they turn black. And so the plant actually turns black, and they and then they seed into the you know corn or soybeans into those strips. So they're turning the the soil surface dark, but using plants um, as opposed to actually using the soil itself. So, you know, I think that um, I mean I don't see that system becoming widespread in the prairies, but I think the idea of of soil warming in the spring is a big one, especially on fine textured soils like clays, because they can get they can take forever to dry out in the spring, and so I—that—that's I, certainly what I've seen. And um, and the evolution of some of these new um, no-till disc drills, which almost float over the surface, you know, may allow us to um, overcome some of those limitations of, of very wet soils. Um, and who knows? Maybe in the future we'll have no-till disc drills that. Uh, are, you know, very small, a bunch of robots running around the field. So we don't have to worry about tire tracks and ruts in, in wet soils. And so the future, you know, could be really exciting there. But, but I would say that in um, uh, that, that, that uh, idea, if, if we are going to implement tillage, you know, uh, something in the fall for the Northern prairies that that, just deals with a residue a little bit and um, exposes some dark soil is probably the most useful tillage that I've seen in in reduced till systems you know certainly tilling before seeding you know is is pretty damaging because you're going to you know you're losing that precious moisture so those are some thoughts and I'm sure farmers have their own thoughts on this as well.
1: It's you know it's, it's interesting because we talk about tillage in terms of you know what the machine is doing, but then we talk about you know and I'll jump on the topic of soil health in terms of what that machine potentially is doing to these characteristics that we've assigned to soil health, you know soil aggregation and, and um, carbon capture, um, you know it, are there types of tillage that we would categorize based on these characteristics we've assigned to soil health as being more or less beneficial Uh, i mean you've hit on a few of them here um, and and maybe just scratching the surface is is not as as detrimental as turning the soil completely over Um, but is there is there a way to find kind of balance between these things
0: yeah, that I mean, that's the that's the good thing now is we're starting to un, you know farmers are actually asking like what is this doing to my soil health and my aggregates and and um, so I mean what we know is is you know inversion tillage like plowing um, if if it's done very slowly uh, you know it can actually invert the soil without breaking up all the aggregates um, so tillage speed is a huge part of it. Um, Uh, But generally, uh, plowing is something that that tends to be more destructive than non-inversion tillage. Um, Let me introduce another idea. Um, The you know, and it deals with carbon. So, what we know now is that the most important thing we can do to build soil carbon is by adding plant roots. Uh, The top growth of that you know that carbon doesn't get incorporated into, into the mineral organic matter very efficiently. The roots of the plants are what become what we call mineral associated organic matter, or that's the important long-term organic matter. And so that's why I started off this discussion is we have to grow good crops, you know, well crops that are got lots of nutrition, big root systems and a diversity of crops, uh, very, very important. Um, maybe as important as as the size of the crop, um, and so any tillage that limits that um, is a problem. Um, on the other hand, if tillage might facilitate uh, the growth of a late season cover crop or the growth of a perennial in a rotation, you know, then it may actually be helpful to soil health uh, because it's allowed those plants to grow. So. Uh, in terms of soil carbon, uh, there's two pools. There's two big pools. Um, One is this mineral-associated organic carbon and the other one is what we call the particulate organic carbon. And the particulate organic carbon is what's in the aggregates. And that's good and we don't want to break up those aggregates and we want to keep it there. But that's not as good a carbon as what we call the mineral-associated organic carbon, which is basically dead microbial material. This is a very new discovery about these two pools of carbon, and there's lots of people who've been um, been studying these, including Newton Lupoya at at Lethbridge at Ag Canada, who's you know who's written on some of this stuff, you know, close to 20 years ago. And and so, what does it mean to a farmer? It means that the number one thing to uh, build my soil carbon is to have is to grow good crops and to grow a diversity of crops and to make sure I have healthy root systems. And I have as many what we call uh, live root days per year. Those things we now know are central to building soil health. That is, can facilitate that. Like we talked about, um, if you're wasting your water so you can't grow good crops, well then tillage is detrimental to that process. But if If tillage allows you to do that, uh, do a better job of growing that diverse crop rotation, then it's not necessarily that damaging. So, So
1: there's an interaction there. All right, we're gonna take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back. Farm cash is cash flow to help you grow. Farm Cash is Western Canada's fastest growing cash advance payments program that improves the long term profitability of your farm. Gain marketing flexibility, improve your farmland value, and even mitigate
0: risk in the growing season. Your first $100,000 is interest free. Apply today using our simple online application and receive access to funds in as little as three to five days. Whether you grow grains and sugar beets, raise livestock, or are a beekeeper, FarmCash works for you. For more information and to apply, visit FarmCashAdvance.com or call
1: 1-855-376-2274. So, just trying to tie this together, um, you know, maybe it isn't all about the yes or no on the tillage if the tillage is beneficial in that you are allowed on that soil or or able on that soil to have more days of living roots um, then it's more beneficial to be able to implement that tillage to allow that rather than to do a no-till situation but have less days of growing roots am i am i kind of summarizing that appropriately Yeah. yeah Um, and so, what farmers really need to think about is their root
0: systems of their crops, uh, the diversity of the roots, and the number of days that they're growing. Of course, many of your listeners by now are going, "Well, I can do that better in no-till uh, because I have more water and uh, I can get my crops established faster." And that's probably true. Um, so, uh, but whatever whatever facilitates that is is what's important. And then there are some little nuances, like I mentioned. You know, tillage speed is very important for maintaining aggregates. Um, you know, going quickly with these. You know, we've got a lot of these, a uh, lot of soybean production in Manitoba now, and then people go over that land with these high-speed discs. And oh my goodness, you know, they. I mean, those are things are incredible for incorporating stuff, but in some cases, they just pulverize the soil too much, and uh, you know, that that's that that can be very damaging to aggregates um and um uh so so um you know and, and even in organic agriculture the uh, goal is to minimize tillage to the absolute absolute minimum so I, I think i think everybody knows that we want to disturb the soil as little as possible with with steel and diesel fuel <laughs> um you know that is a, that is a very useful goal
1: yeah absolutely so i mean in in this article that uh, you know we, we referenced at the beginning, um, you brought up the uh, the Allura Research um, Station and their long term um, their long term rotation trial and and the kind of impacts that that has on on soil health and what it means for for tillage. Could you maybe dip into that a little bit? Sure. Um, so the Alora Research Station is just outside of Guelph, Ontario and it's been run,
0: this rotation has been run by the University of Guelph since about the 1980s. So it's, it's uh, and they have rotations of corn, uh, corn, soybean, and then corn, soybean, winter wheat, and then corn, soybean, winter wheat with red clover as a cover crop after the winter wheat. And what they have, and they've got it under till and no-till. And the work uh, has been done by a number of different researchers, Tony Vine, who's now at uh, Purdue University, uh, uh, Bill Dean, uh, a number of really dedicated technicians have kept this thing going over the years. But, um, uh, you know, this was a real surprise to me because I, you know, coming from the prairies and coming from Saskatchewan, I was going like, you know, I don't even know if I believe this uh, because they were showing that the corn, and the corn-soybean rotations were unable to increase soil carbon at all, even if they went no-till, and, and that was after thirty years or thirty-five years. And uh, w- what happened is when they introduced winter wheat into that rotation, because they've got they've got separate treatments of all these things, uh, all of a sudden they got a bump in um, in soil carbon, um, and uh, you know the just the diversity of the roots, and and you know wheat does put a lot. of a lot of root carbon into the soil, into the soil system. And then they got another bump of soil carbon when they went to red clover. Uh, so, the, what what happens there is they broadcast the red clover into the winter wheat in the springtime with their fertilizer and then the, after winter wheat harvest, the red clover grows and then the following year you grow corn. Um, and and the, um, the crop rotation um, had a larger effect than the than the no-till treatment um, in that in that case, and that just demonstrates the value of crop diversity to build soil carbon. Um, now they are in an area where you know no-till has advantages like it reduces fuel use, and uh, but it you know there is quite a bit of precipitation there, so the water conserving benefits of no-till are not as important in southern Ontario. Um, Uh, So, uh, you know, I think the situation is different in the prairies, in water-limited areas of the prairies, but that Elora study clearly shows, and it's been, you know, there's been some fantastic researchers from all over the world have come to work on that thing uh, that have shown that it's the crop diversity, it's the plant diversity that really builds the soil. Uh, And with the no-till being a secondary factor
1: it's it's (laughs) you know southern ontario certainly gets a a lot more moisture than you know the southern part of alberta per se but i you know i did my master's at the university of guelph and um, i actually had some of my trials at alora research station Um, and i also had some around around guelph at the uh, turfgrass institute and I did some of my research in 2012, and that year was so dry, so I was, I was, I was studying the effects of drought and low fertility on, on certain species of plants, and that year, it got so dry that I actually had to go in and water the plants to stop them from di- dry- dying, so I could still get data from my trial. So, you know, we have this perception of Ontario being, you know, wet and huge moisture, and yes, that's typical. But um, you know, they do they do <laughs> encounter some dry years, some years. Um, I you know, I can't help but think about. Um, this, this discussion around interaction of, of having more different types of crops in rotation, that being the benefit to soil carbon, um, is, is, there, is this something we understand of wh- why that um, diversity creates that increase? Do we, do we know that at this point?
0: Hey, just for the listening audience, Jeremy and I, I did not talk about this question before the, uh, he didn't set me up for this question, <laughs> because this is a great question. And yes, we do have an answer for this question. Um, and actually, uh, getting back to the Luton uh, Luguaya, the research scientist at Lethbridge, uh, I think he used to be at Lacombe as well, I'm not sure, but um, uh, they actually published on this from an Alberta study in the 1990s where they looked at till and no-till, and then they had different rotations of cereals with uh, either peas or cereals with red clover. And I think George Clayton and, uh, and other scientists from Alberta were on that study. And they, uh, they measured, uh, for lack of better term, they measured soil burping. Um, you know How efficiently the carbon that is uh, put into soil with the plants actually stays there. It's called the metabolic quotient. Um, it's the uh, it's it's actually the CO2 emissions per unit of microbial biomass carbon. It's uh, so how efficiently do the living uh, microbes in the soil uh, uh, maintain carbon and grow and grow? And what they found is that um, they they clearly demonstrated this interaction that uh, the soil had. Uh, a higher metabolic quotient that means uh, less burping. Um, uh, where they used no-till, and then that was uh, massively elevated. Where they had a rotation that included either peas, although red clover was better than peas. So, you know, we've kind of known this for for 20 years. Um, this interaction, and um, uh, so it ho- I hope that answers your question. And if you'd like, I can I can send you that paper. Uh, or you know, you can get Newton to uh, to clarify the work as well.
1: No, that's that, that's awesome. I appreciate it. I it just you know, kind of get into that topic, and I couldn't help but ask, you know, what what what's going yeah. on there? So,
0: yeah, no, it, it's it's important. And so what it shows is exactly what farmers have seen. It's <laughs> that the combination of no-till and a diverse crop rotation is is giving the best outcome to soil health.
1: So, I mean, diverse crop rotation uh, is certainly, um, um, you know, an interesting topic in, in Southern Alberta, in Alberta. Uh, and I, I get the impression producers are looking for, uh, in some ways, more diverse crops to implement. But it, it, it certainly it certainly is a challenge finding new crops to, to you know, not only just grow, um, but to market as well. Um, yeah. So... It's 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 certainly a topic that I think needs more addressing in the research as we move forward. And, and I feel like we're headed towards that direction. Yeah. And that's,
0: you know, and, and when we talk about, uh, that's why I've, I've used the word plants a number of times. And I, you know, I haven't always referred to diverse crops because, I you know, in, this is why there's this interest in, in cover cropping is that it increases diversity of your plant community uh, without. Change without increasing the diversity of your commodities, because you're absolutely right. Um, I mean, we uh, in, in in Manitoba here, we're a, we're a three crop system. You know, wheat, canola, and soybean. You know, th- those are the three dominant crops. And uh, before that, it was wheat and canola. And you know, there's some oats and there's a little bit of corn. And but um, you know, that's our reality, right? We're limited in the number of crops because of you know uh, we're um, Efficiency, large-scale agriculture. So, how can we introduce more plants into the system? Well, cover crops, maybe. Right in some parts, it 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 can make sense. Um, it, you know, we need the water to grow them in southern Alberta. You're not going to grow a lot of clover after your harvest of wheat because, unless you're irrigated, um, so there are limits there. But and then my colleague Rob Golden is is actually been looking at 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 weed management, and he's been um, asking the question about you know what 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 should should we rethink our weed tolerance a little bit and uh, you know adjust our herbicide management so that we can use the weeds to diversify our plant community a little bit more um, so I totally agree with you Jeremy you know we're limited in terms of the crop species that we can grow but there may be other ways of thinking about plants in the system and, and one last point on that you know there's nothing like a perennial phase, to sort of straighten out the soil, um, you know, to if we can introduce a three to five-year perennial forage into a crop rotation, you know, that just resets the system so nicely. Um, and in Alberta, where you have significant, you know, ruminant animals, we we do see a lot more perennial in the system than we do in certainly places like here in southern Manitoba, where there's there's very very little uh, perennial forage production
1: Martin we've we've hit on you know a number of topics here you know what w- different types of tillage and how that may impact soil health and, and tillage speed um, you know that that tillage versus rotation discussion and and um, you know how, how root uh, diversity is, is potentially or is beneficial um, to soil health and, and carbon capture um, you know this is is there an area that producers can go to, to kind of pull information on this together, to make decisions on their farm, or are we not at that point right now? Is is there more research that needs to be done in Western Canada to kind of get us a stronger direction on how to manage these decisions?
0: Well, I think if, we're, if we uh, are going to uh, move ahead with the assumption that it is the roots of the plants that are really building our soil health, then maybe there's a little bit of uh, uh, there's some questions there that could be answered um, you know even even as far as like how do the varieties that we develop affect what's going on in the roots um, uh, can we breed crops that have that a- allocate a little bit more of their carbon to the below ground plant part and um, I mean if we look at barley and oats, uh, I think you know they those crops, especially oats. We know that they allocate a little bit more of their carbon to the below ground portion, and that's why they're you know they're a very good rotation crop. Um, have we even considered this in in wheat breeding? Um, you know uh, you know and and, and the, on the idea of trying to introduce um, you know cover crops or some other plant diversity into the system? You know. It's easy to write them off and say, "Well, I just don't have the heat and and I just don't have the you know the moisture to think about that." But but there there's always a way of 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 you know of figuring it out if we invest a bit of time in into it. Um, you know, can can you know uh, so um, you know can we underseed our canola with a legume that's tolerant of the same herbicides as the leg as the canola is and and can we benefit from that? Um, uh, so. I think there's things that we can do in terms of the tillage. That's a tricky one. I, I think that um, you know, I mean, if somebody goes and tills their field, uh, I don't think we should uh, we should hold them up as a poor farmer and say, "Look, you know, you're backward." <laughs> you know, I uh, I think we should we should have a conversation about like what is it that you're gaining from this on your farm and 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 force them to ask the question like how are you how is this affecting the the your cropping system, how many plants you can grow, how big your crops are, and that type of thing. Um, You know, if we look at at the European situation again, there's been a lot of research on trying to get away from plowing. And so you can go to Europe and you can look at all these different non-inversion tillage tools. People have researched them, like which ones maintain aggregate stability better, which ones don't. We haven't got that research in Canada. We've just basically said, you know, you you no-till or or, you know, we don't even want to talk to you. Um, and uh, because I work with organic farmers, you know, they are, they are having to till. And so they're asking these questions, like how can I till? What speed should I use? Should I, how deep should I go? Uh, what kind of sweeps should I use? Uh, what about going to a white blade cultivator again, the, the old noble blade? Um, what about a rod weeder? Does uh, these robotic weeders that we're now using in organic production to do inter row cultivation and narrow rows, we know that that surface scuffling does really no damage to soil health, um, and and so so people could go into that organic community to learn a bit about this. Um, but I think farmers talking to farmers uh, is a very good way to uh, to learn about why people are doing a little bit of fall tillage, um, you know. Why are, What are they trying to achieve in terms of warming up their soil faster in the springtime so they can seed earlier and produce a crop with larger roots. So, um, I'm not giving you a good answer on where you can go because we haven't really invested in this area of work. Um, but uh, you know, um, as somebody once told me, uh, the agricultural revolution continues because agriculture you know, we're the most important revolution in civilization. Uh, all your listeners should feel very good about what they do. Uh, but it, the the revolution continues, right? We're um, we're we've massively reduced tillage. What else can we do to bring um, to bring better things into the soil? So that's my imperfect answer to your question.
1: I think it's a, a good as of answer as any, and and I may steal that quote at some point, Martin, because uh, I quite enjoyed that. And you know, I quite enjoyed this conversation. I I, I learned a lot. Um, Is before we finish, is there any final things you want to say to to any of the producers who are listening?
0: Well, you know, I just um, one thing that um, I just want to say: good luck. Be safe. Uh, You know, farming is dangerous. Um, It's dangerous for adults. It's dangerous for children. So be safe. Have fun. Enjoy what you do. And, and be innovative. Um, you know, try, you know and all farmers are always experimenting and, uh, you know, so I, I just want to convey good wishes. Uh, in terms of a challenge to farmers, you know, uh, I think the, the, the early adopters of no-till uh, are definitely an interesting um, and very, very important um, community of farmers because they, uh, they stepped out of uh, the mainstream. And now maybe it no till is mainstream, and, and but uh, they stepped out of mainstream, and I'm, I think they're ready for the next challenge. And we see the challenges, right? Controlled traffic farming is uh, is happening. That's having some benefits. Um, uh, you know, wh- I, I look forward to what you're going to show us next. You know, whether it's you know, introducing some perennial grains on your farm or growing some cover crops. You're doing some innovative livestock um, uh, integration. Uh, and that, you know, so, um, and uh, I hope it's a great season for you. And, and thank you for all the times that I've come to Alberta and had the opportunity to, you know, participate in extension activities. I've always been treated really well and uh, people have been very interested. We've had so many interesting conversations. Um, I, I've really enjoyed my time so thank you
1: we're a welcoming bunch out here Martin <laughs> yeah That's great. I, I greatly appreciate the time and and I hope we can chat again in, in the future Martin and, and thank you uh, and yeah enjoy the rest of your day thanks so much take care thanks for listening to the growing point podcast if you enjoyed this podcast please take a second to rate review and share this podcast with all of your friends. This helps us grow and get our message out. You can also sign up for the Growing Point newsletter by going to AlbertaWheat or albertabarley.com and sign up for our mailing list. This will help you stay up to date on all the agronomic information we share through articles, interviews, and the newsletter. See you next time.